idea in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, of letting our light shine. So if you want to turn your Bible to Luke 8, verses 8 to 16, I'll read it. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18, and then we'll look and see what is God teaching us about letting our light shine. So Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18, it says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under its bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought, made known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this, please. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have made it simple enough enough that even kids can understand what your word says, and that even from a young age we can start living out your word in our life, and we can share with other people. God, I just pray for me right now that when I open my mouth, God, that your words would come out, and that your Holy Spirit would make it clear to each of us how we need to apply this to our lives. And I pray that we would we'd leave this place determined to, to shine our lights to you and shine them brightly. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we see in verse 16 was light was made to shine. It says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under its bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Now, how many people here have enjoyed the modern conveniences of light? These right here, we don't have a bunch of candles. That's kind of nice. Uh, you know, we walk into our house when it's dark. The very first thing, what do we do? We flip on a light switch. I personally... At least for the sake of electricity, I'm very glad that I was born when I was born. Because I, I, don't, like, I don't like trying to light a lamp in the middle of the night. You know, I don't, I don't want to struggle with all that, having enough candles, enough uh, oil for my lamp. But back in the Bible times, believe it or not, they did not have electricity. They couldn't come in and light a switch. They, they'd have to light a candle to see just this tiny little light. Or they'd have to have a lantern of, of some sort of oil lamp which was very expensive, and so that wasn't something that they just had a whole bunch of. It was just something that when it got dark, you just kind of had to make sure that you were kind of set because you did not have the luxuries of a lot of the richer people. And you could, they could look outside and see, wow, that person's rich because they have light. You and your own little house is like, boy, it's dark and there's not a whole lot to do. I guess I'll go to bed because you did not have light. But back then, they did not have it. And now Jesus, when he's talking about this, he's not talking about how silly it is that you would take a, a lamp or a light and hide it under a bowl. Because that's obviously not something that you do with that, but Jesus isn't trying to just give this little simple picture to say, okay, this is just a random thing, it's a dumb thing to do. Jesus is trying to use it as a picture of what he doesn't want. Because Jesus is the light of the world. He came down to this earth to, let, to teach people and to let salvation be known to everybody. What, when he told his disciples, it's kind of like he's saying, look guys, I gave you this message of salvation. I gave you my teachings. I don't want you guys to hide it. I don't want you guys to keep it to yourself and say, hey, look at me. I have my salvation or I have my little light. And I'm going to keep it to myself. Jesus wants his disciples to take this message and be bright lights everywhere. Our scripture in, uh, that we looked with the kids, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, makes it very clear. You are the light of the world. Which really, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. I just said that. He's, he came down to this world to be the light of salvation. If he never came here, nobody would stumble across the message of salvation. We wouldn't see it. It wouldn't be made known. 
But in that verse, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say you're one of the lights of the world. He's just looking at people and saying, you're the light of the world. Animals don't share the message of salvation. They don't share God's word with anybody. They're not the light. Creation is not the light. I mean, you look in Psalms 19, 1 through 4, and it talks about how creation is evidence of God's existence. You look outside, there's something that's supposed to tell you that, you know what, those things did not just happen. There wasn't a big bang. It wasn't just by a fluke. There's, it's evidence. It's the stars in this creation are signs of God's handiwork. And so it's very obvious, but that is not the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You have, you have light in your house so that you can see when you're bringing groceries in in the middle of the night and you don't step on your dog or your kid's toys or you don't bump into the table. You have, you're supposed to be the light to this world because the, the world does not see, the world does not know what is there because it's dark. They're walking around, they're stumbling, they're trying to figure out what is the purpose of life? Uh, why am I here? What is, what is this truth about salvation? How do I get to heaven? And they don't know. They're just walking around in the light. So we are supposed to be the light. So let me ask you, how bright is your light? Is your light as bright as this little night light down there? Which is light. I mean, light, a little bit of light is better than no light, right? But how bright is your light? Is it, is it like a candle, which does more than a night light? Or is it like a spotlight? If you're lost out in the, uh, out in the woods and there's a helicopter shining with big bright circle light on you, are you that bright? Or are you as bright as the, as the bonfire? Does everybody you know look and say, hey, Anita is a Christian? Because that's what happens when you give me eye contact. Uh, Anita is a Christian because she tells people about Jesus. Everything about her life reflects Jesus. Or is it like, sometimes it's like a flickering. Sometimes my life is bright while I'm at church, and then when I get away from church and I get with my, my team or I get with my coworkers, my light kind of dims, and it starts to flicker. What kind of light do you have? I just think, what, what kind of light do you think Jesus is talking about here? When Jesus is talking about have a light, do you think he's talking about just like the bare minimum light? Or do you think he wants the whole hillside caught on fire? He wants a bright light, right? He wants as bright a light as you can possibly give everywhere you go. He wants it to be obvious. He wants a bright light. But sometimes it's scary to shine that light. We have family members who don't believe in the Lord. We have coworkers. We have neighbors. We have people all around us. And so it is kind of scary to, sh to shine your light. But be encouraged to shine your light anyway, even in the darkness. Because everything is going to be made known. Verse 17 says, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. Now there's three different options of what this verse could possibly mean. And all three of them are true. And the third one is by far my favorite. But this is about how things that are hidden are going to be made known. Now the first one that probably comes to mind is everything I've ever done is going to be made known. Right? Is that, is that anybody else's first guess? Because that was mine. The very first thing I said, everything's hidden, it's going to be made known. So that means everything that I've done or everything that I've sought, said or thought is going to be made known. Which is true. And that could be a negative thing if you have done something you shouldn't have done. Because God has seen it. If you have said something that you should not have said, God has heard it. And if you have thought something that you should not have thought, God knows that too. So it's a very scary thing to know that everything is going to be made known. Now obviously, 
not everything's going to be made known here. Because I can guarantee things that I did when I was like, uh, I remember something that I did, and I told Leslie about this, and I would never tell anybody. But if, if she didn't know, if I did not tell her, I guarantee you she would never know. Because it's just it's, it's a total different point in life. It was in Spokane uh, when I was like seven years old, and here I am, almost 39, and she doesn't know, she's only known me since I was like 23, so there's just, there's not the connections. And you probably can think in your life, well, I got away with something, because it's a different point in life, and no one ever knows about this. But guess what? God knows. So if you've done something wrong, which you wish you didn't do, God's good, God knows, and it's going to be found out. But this also works on the positive side. If you've done something that nobody else has known, and it was a good thing, that's going to be made known as well. Uh, when you, uh, the Bible talks about when, you, uh, when you're praying secret and nobody else knows, guess what? God's going to reward you because God heard what you said. When you take out money and you, you, you secretly give it to somebody or you, you buy somebody a gift because they need something and the whole world does not know who did it. And they're all, everybody's trying to figure it out. You, you'd like that praise because I'm human, but I'm not going to say, hey, it was me. Guess what? God knows that too. And when you try to encourage somebody by, by a card or by uh, something that you said, God knows that too, even if nobody else knows. So there's a negative side to God knowing everything or that what you've done is going to be made known. But there's a positive side because if you do something good, God's going to take that. He's going to know that as well. Okay, so th that's the second reason about how what is in the secret is going to be made known is... Uh, what, was, what was said in the, in, the, in the quiet place was meant to be shared. Last week, Jesus shared the, the parable of the swills with the people, and the people didn't get it. What Jesus didn't mean for that just to be some wild, strange teaching or just tell the disciples what that meant. He meant for what they heard to be broadcasted everywhere. He wanted it to be made known. He wanted everybody to know the message of salvation. And when he came, he tried to make it plain and obvious. And when the disciples understood that parable, they were supposed to take it everywhere. So there's going to be two groups of people that you've got to be a bright light to. First of all, it's to the people who are unsaved. The, the unsaved people, they're the ones who are in the dark. And they don't know which way to turn. They don't know the way to heaven. They don't know anything that we know because they have not seen the light. And we need to make it clear to them. But there's lots of struggles that keep us from that. Last week with the parable, you had people who were who said, hey, I want to believe in Jesus. I told you about my Aunt Kate. But then when people started persecuting her, she says, I don't want that. And persecution is enough to make people's bright light all of a sudden get really dim. I don't want my light to get picked on. I don't want people to shake it. I don't want people blowing on it to try to make it put out. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. But then you also have the people who were uh, distracted by the, the pleasures of this life. Like, oh, I'm just trying to get wealth and I'm trying to protect myself and all these what-ifs that they're so worried about uh, looking good for the boss that they'll do whatever it takes to keep, to keep my source of income, to keep my reputation, because that's the most important to me. So you have another competition for that bright light. It's supposed to be bright, but all of a sudden it shrinks down because I want to keep my prestige. I want to keep my wealth. I want to keep life the way I had it, and so I'm not going to be a bright, shining light. I'm just going to keep it to myself between me and God. He knows that I'm saved. My little church family might know, but everybody else does not need to know. So there's another option, or another opportunity. And it gets really difficult because uh, John 3.19 says, This is the verdict, 
Light has come into the world. Jesus is that light. We are supposed to be the light. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. When you start doing the right thing, and you start trying to be that light out in the world, people do not like it. I mean, some people recognize, yes, I need that light, I need that salvation, but a lot of people say, okay, that person's a holy roller, we're not inviting that person to the party. We're not inviting that person over because they're going to spoil the fun. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And all of a sudden, when I realize I'm not getting invited, people are staying away from me, people are avoiding me, it's like, boy, if I just keep my light little, you know, it's enough for me, and I can just barely see, and there's a little bit of a testimony, then that's enough, and then I can still fit into what this world gives. But Jesus didn't say, hey, be in the world and of the world. He said, you make a choice. You guys are going to live here and make this life everything you want it to be, or you're going to live for me. And that's the tough thing as a Christian, is you've got to choose, what am I going to do? And I have the opportunity to be this bright light now, and have eternity, or I can say I have this dinky little light and hope that when I get there, that there's some reason, there's, no, there's some reward, or, or God's happy with that. But God is not looking for just a little candle. God's looking for the biggest light that he could possibly find. So you've got to be a bright light for the people who are unsaved, but guess what? Sometimes you've got to be a bright light for other lights. Because if you have this little night light right there, and you're trying to see, that's great if that's the only light you have. But if you have a flashlight, how many people are going to try to follow that little nightlight when you got a flashlight, or you got a torch, or you got a bonfire. Who's going to go look at that? Nobody. That's, this big bonfire is going to make that little light look pathetic. And it's not a competition to try to be brighter than that person, but it's, that person needs to get in, in the game. They need to say, hey, I'm going to be a bright light. My wife, when she was in Bible school, this is almost embarrassing to say, and I think I have mentioned this before, uh, no, I'm not going to embarrass you. Uh, but these, there used to be a bunch of kids that would get together, high school kids, and they would watch something, and she would say, you know what, I don't think we should be watching that movie because of X, Y, Z. And so guess what she got called? And you guys can nickname her this if you want to. She got called the black sheep because she was trying to do the right thing. All these people said, hey, I want to be a Christian, but I want to keep my life this small, and I want to live up in this world and of this world, and she says, you know what, we've got to be different. We've got to keep our lights this bright, which means we have to say no to the darkness. And she got labeled a bright light at a Christian college, which is, is sad because we all should be like, the, bright, the black sheep is the person who says, I don't want Jesus, not the person who says, I want Jesus more. So you've got to be a bright light to the, the, the negative people, which they aren't going to like that. And then you've got the bright light to the people who, in this room, you might be a brighter light than the person next to you or the person across from the aisle and be like, boy, I don't want to look like a goody two-shoes. I don't want to look like, man, I'm holier than now. But we've got to get our minds off of what anybody else thinks and say, okay, Jesus, you are the bright light. You want me to be the light. And so I'm going to try to be the brightest light that I can possibly be. If they don't like it, that's their problem. I'm really sorry. But that brings me to the third reason uh, that I came across. And I, I learned this one from a commentary. But by far, it makes me the most excited. I'm the, I'm the most excited about this one. And it says, uh, everything that is hidden is going to be made known. If you are shining your bright light, and you're getting persecuted for it, that is going to be made known. The people who, at some point, who have rejected your message, they've been mad at you because you're, bright, you're shining your bright light, they don't know Jesus, someday they are going to understand that what you chose was right. 
You don't, you're not going to have the chance to go rub it in their face and say, ha-ha, Noah, I told you. But you're, you can just rest assured that you're trying to shine your bright light now, you're getting persecuted, and it's hard. But at some point, they are going to know that, oops, I should have picked that path. Jesus was the right path, and what those people did was the right thing to do. And that, to me, just makes me feel good, because it is hard to be a bright light in a dark world. It's hard to be a bright light when everybody else is dim. And because people don't like it. It's like nobody likes it. From, you don't get it from the, the darkness, and you don't get it from the barely lit. But the world is going to know at some point that Jesus was the right way to heaven, and living for him was the right choice down here on earth. Because <clears throat> uh, everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody's going to stand before him all by themselves, and all of a sudden they're going to have proof, you know what, that really was, God really is real. There's going to be no doubt in anybody's mind. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, meaning Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of of God the Father. So every knee is going to bow. They don't like it, they're going to have to. They're not going to have any choice. And every tongue is going to say, Jesus is Lord. Unless they say, Jesus is Lord. But everybody is going to know. So when you're shining your bright light and it gets hard, remember, everybody is going to know that Jesus is Lord. So those are the three options. Either one is like, uh, everything you do, good or bad, is going to be found out, and you're going to know about it, and God's going to know about it, which is true. Or it could be option number two, that everything that you hear, that you read in the scriptures, is not meant just for you. You've got to take it and give it to everybody out there so that they know the light. Or three, at some point, everybody is going to know that the message that they heard about Jesus was the right message. All three of those are true dealing with that verse. So, why is it important that we hear God's word and we put it into practice? Let's read verse 18. It says, Therefore consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. So first of all, he says, consider how you listen. And that's one of, uh, if you want to have a discussion at the lunch table or, or with women versus men, you'll get a whole, all kinds of stories about, about how people listen. Because you have the person who listens intently, like, I, I, I want to hear what you're saying, and it's, it's probably two people who are in love, right? All the married people, yeah. It's the people who are in love, they don't care what else is going on, all they can do is focus on what that other person is saying. And boy, don't we wish we could keep it that way, right? But then you have the, per then they, you have the people who are distracted. Yeah, uh, yeah honey, yeah, I hear you, uh-huh. I'm on my phone, and uh, yep, I'm, I'm looking past you, like, I'm, I'm looking at the person behind you while I'm talking to you. But I'm sort of hearing what you're saying. Or the person who, does, who just absolutely doesn't care. I'm zoning out. I'm hearing noise coming into my head. And that's what we think of with our kids. We know you're hearing it because the noise is going in, but you're not doing anything with it. So there's a huge gamut of ways that people listen. He says, be careful. How do you listen? I came across a, here's how to listen to a sermon. When, you're, when, when somebody's speaking in church, and I'm not bringing this up because I'm up here. It's just because we're in a church setting. I thought, well, this might be kind of fun to say this is how you're supposed to listen to a sermon. So the first thing you're supposed to do in the, in the list that I saw was you're supposed to hear the words from up here as if they were God's words. 
You don't hear it as Josh's words, or Josh got in his little soapbox, and he's trying to tell you what he thinks, like I'm holier than thou. Because I tell you, I am nothing special. I'm just an average, ordinary person who God says, here, I want you to get up and say something. But you're supposed to hear the words that you hear as coming from God. And I'm, the, the preacher is supposed to be giving you exactly what you see in Scripture. He tries to help make it make more sense, but he's supposed to give you the words of God. So you're supposed to take it like these, this is really God's word. This isn't suggestions. This isn't like an option page, just pick and choose what you want to do. You've got to hear it like this is what God is really saying. He just picked this guy to say it. The second thing is you're supposed to think about how the scriptures taught apply to you. Not to the person next to you, not to the person in the road, down the road, not to the person who should have been here hearing the message. You've got to li- listen and see, how does this apply to me? I have to ask myself, how does, how does this apply to me? Am I, do I have a bright, shining light? Can people tell that my light is shining? Does my light flicker? Is it big, as bright as it can be, or is it just this dinky little thing so I can say I have a light? I was reading this book, and it's, it's one of the, the toughest things about being a, a pastor who gets up and speaks is because so much of, and it, it's a, it's all, it was in a book, it's something that pastors always struggle with, is when you read, it's to, it's to not always just think of how does this apply to you? How does, how does someone else need to hear this? I've got to read everything that I'm hearing and say, how does this apply to me? Because this has to be real in my life first. This isn't just, well, I don't need this, and so I'm just like telling you what you should do. I've got to tell myself what I should do as well. And I know it's hard to think just me. Me, me, me. What do I need to do? What do I need to hear? What do I need to change? But we've got to make sure that that's what we're doing. Not trying to focus on what everybody else needs to hear, but we've got to focus on what do I need to hear. The third thing it said was to pray. Pray before you get to church. Pray during the service. Pray after that the message that came out of my mouth was the message we needed to hear, that it came from God's Word. And if you want to pray for me any time of the day, any time of the week, that I would do a good job, I'm all for it. You know, you say, hey, you know what? Your preaching style needs to get better. Pray for it. You know, if it's not very clear, pray for it. Any, anything that you think, I, w- I would take prayer for. Because I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm just the average person. I, I struggle, sometimes I fight with my wife. I just make sure I don't do it on a Sunday morning. But pray for me. Pray for the guy, whoever it is speaking. The woman retreat speaker yesterday, pray for her as well. And the last thing is to make sure that what you're hearing is from the Bible. Don't just... Don't just sit there and think, wow, Josh, sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He sounds convincing, or whoever's up here. Look and make sure this is what it was said. I brought it up before, the Bereans. He said, Paul commended them. He said they checked daily to see if what they heard was true. So that's something when you're listening to the scriptures, you need to make sure that what you're hearing is the truth. And if I start not saying the truth, you better get rid of me. But you've got to know that I am not saying the truth in order to do that. So why should we listen and follow what we hear? It says, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, is going to be taken from him. Now, I would like to get up here and flex, okay? You can't really see any muscles. You can't, you guys understand, right? If you go and work out, you know, and I'm not big on working out. That's why I was saying I'd, I'd flex, but you can't really tell. But if you guys go and you work out, you guys understand that if you just keep working, you keep lifting weights, or you keep running, does it get easier, right? 
and you, you're able to add more weights, and the biceps start getting bigger, and you start to get toner, and, and it just gets better. But let's say you get sick for a week, or you break a bone, or you decide, I'm tired of getting up early in the morning to do that. Well, guess what? All of a sudden, if you wait a week or two, you start to lose it. All of a sudden, I can't lift what I used to lift. You know, I was thinking about when I was uh, like 23. Maybe this won't impress anybody. But I could bench press 200 pounds, one pound. Guess what I could do now? I don't think I could bench press 200 pounds one time because I worked up to that point. You guys get the idea. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And that's the same with God's Word. If you, if you read it one time, that's great. But if that's all you do and you don't put it into practice, you're not going to remember it. You know, with, with little kids that want it, we're always fascinated and amazed by what they can remember because they just have sponges. And so I remember being a kid, I learned all these verses in Awana, and I remember them mostly now, but if I, if I don't review these verses, all of a sudden I don't, I don't remember them. If I don't uh, keep reading the Bible, I don't remember what it says, and you will lose it, and you will not be a bright light. But we're supposed to be always adding fuel to our fire. We're always supposed to be helping ourselves to be brighter lights. But if we don't hear God's word and we don't put it into practice, we're going to lose it. It's a very simple message today, to hear God's word, to put it into practice, to be a bright, shining light. You as a Christian are a light, whether you like it or not. Jesus says you are the light of the world, and hopefully you're not as dim as this little uh, night light. Hopefully you're as bright as the spotlight or as the bonfire, but you are a light as a Christian. And how bright are you shining? And it doesn't matter if yesterday was just a little birthday candle. Today is a new day. It can... Uh, uh, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? You can, you can put the torch onto yourself and get into God's Word and put it into practice and be the brightest light out there. Because that little candle can do a whole lot of damage as far as being bright. When you're trying to be a bright light and the people don't like it, the people of the world say, I don't believe in you or I don't believe in God and they don't like that, be a bright light anyway. When you're trying to be a bright light in your house, when, all, when you haven't normally been a bright light, Keep working at it because everybody is going to understand and they're going to know that you picked the right choice, that Jesus was the way of salvation, and that Jesus was the right path because that's what ultimately is what counts. So take God's word and put it into practice and you will be a bright light. That's what you are made to do and that's what Jesus has called each of us to do. And I challenge you to be as bright as light as you can possibly be. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I, I know that it is tough to live in this world and try to be a bright light. God, there's so many things that are trying to, to stop us, to, uh, to smother that light that we have. And I just pray that we would have the courage to be a bright light. And we'd be a bright, bright light. God, that we would, we would use the tools that we have that you have given us to make our, our fires brighter. We would know your word and we put them into practice. And I pray that God, as we would stand together as a body, we'd be a bright light. And when people see us, that they, they don't see a flickering light or a light that goes on and off like a light switch. They just see a consistent light. And that we could just be your light to this community, to our works, to our school, wherever we're at, God, we'd be a bright light. And I just pray for the ability for each of us to remember that we need to do this and for each of us to have the ability to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.